0: Welcome to Talk Time with Max Contact, the podcast where we talk about the latest contact center and customer experience, industry news and insights. Join us as we welcome industry experts, discuss actionable strategies you can apply to your business and help professionals like you on your path to long term career progression and success. I'm your host, Sean McIver. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Talk Time with Max Contact. I'm Sean McIver, your host. In this episode, we welcome Barry Cooper. Barry's the Head of Customer Services at Fintech Money Corp. He has over 15 years of experience in customer experience and the contact center industry. Welcome, Barry. I'm going to throw you in right off. Tell us a bit more about yourself.
1: Yeah, thanks, Sean. Thanks for having me, and uh, appreciate having me on. It's, uh, looking forward to it. A little bit nervous as these things generally are, but uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, Yeah, so over 15 years customer service experience, I started my contact center journey as a customer service advisor. So I started working for PowerGen, so Eon when it was PowerGen. As a customer service advisor, I'd stepped out of, at that time I was a scaffolder and I was doing the scaffolding trade and winter came along and it was awfully cold and some pretty harsh winters up in Bolton. And I thought, well, I'm not sure this is the thing for me anymore, although summer was lovely. So started as a customer service advisor at Eon, as I say, worked my way through the teams there, became a team leader, managed a team of sort of 20 FTE, then moved down from from Bolton to Nottingham to try and continue with my career path and, and reach into other areas of the business. So Came down into to Nottingham or helped set up and, and run the uh, smart center of excellence where we were running out or rolling out smart meters to our private customers, so to business to customers, which was a real good experience, brand new contact center new thing altogether, what are smart meters, how do you set this kind of center of excellence up and how do you make sure you're delivering for your customer experience as well as your employee experience? What new things could we do that were just completely different? So that was an amazing experience there. I really learned how to set a contact center up from scratch with some great leaders that I managed to learn from at that time. And then I actually stepped out of operations for a while at Eon and I was at Eon for a big chunk of those sort of 15 years that I've been in the contact center industry but I stepped out of operations and, and part of that was to kind of develop and grow my business acumen and understand kind of how other areas of the business work. You know, what does project management look like? What does customer experience design look like? And what what does legal look like? And how do you deal with big projects and big schemes, particularly in the energy efficiency world? So kind of stepped into that arena for a while and then finished off my career at Eon by, by opening another contact center for them and coming back into operations. And, and I've been in it ever since. I took a lefty on and went to work at uh, domestic and general, again, big contact center looking after white good insurance and, And then from there, I set up my own consultancy for a while and I went into kind of consultancy work, started working with contact centers, understanding how you can help them improve their customer journeys, improve their employee journeys. I came across a role here at MoneyCorp, you know, it's a 14-month fixed-term contract and four years later, here I am. I've stayed and and it's been an amazing four years at MoneyCorp.
0: Amazing. So... I always enjoy talking to people such as yourself who started off on the front lines of a contact center because I I was the same. I started in a contact center and I think you can have a different quality, a, a different element to a conversation because we've all had the challenging customer conversations. We understand what that's like to have, you know, a customer in really quite a lot of distress talking to us, whether you were in whatever industry it was in. And I think that that's really important. One of the things that kind of stuck out to me as we as you were kind of explaining journey is that you started off and you spent a significant amount of time within the energy industry and then you moved across and you're now in the fintech industry. How does customer experience and I suppose expectation differ Between those two really vast industries, do the businesses need to be mindful of those differences and how can they react to that within the particular industry that they're in?
1: Yeah, there are definitely subtle differences. I think stepping out of the energy industry was probably one of the scariest things that I'd done for a long time. You know, being at EON for as long as I was and learning what I'd learned and knowing what I knew it was then, can I take this somewhere else into a different industry, into a different contact center, into a different business and really apply what I've learned in that period in a different industry. And I think... Actually, although there are some subtle differences in terms of maybe your age of the customer that you're looking for, the type of customer that you might be looking for. So in particular, you know, if you're doing sales through service in insurance products or we're doing FX, or we're doing foreign exchange, I might be looking for a different kind of customer type. I might be trying to aim at a different customer from the energy market whether that we were in. But I think in general, the application is still the same and it's about still putting the, heart, the customer at the heart of what you do, I should say. And I guess that's always where you want to be. And those don't change across industries. If you're making business decisions, you want to make those business decisions knowing that you've put your customer front and center. You've had that conversation about, okay, how does it work for us as a business? But what does it mean for my customer? How does it impact them? When's it going to impact them? How does that then come through to my team in the contact center? And how are they going to react to that? And to your point, you know, I think in all customer kind of contact scenarios, particularly in the contact center. To world we are majority of the time i guess is dealing with some upset customers because generally you only pick up the phone you know yourself as a customer right so you're a customer you'll generally only pick up your provider whether that's fx energy or whether that's sales or whether that's amazon or it's the deliveryman or what is it that you need you're only going to pick the phone up when it's gone wrong and i think that's always a great place to start with any customer experience okay so Uh, what I've got initially is a customer who's unhappy and my first and foremost is how can I help that customer there and then so let's put myself in that customer's shoes let's think about why has it gone wrong absolutely try and resolve it first time you know let's look at that experience around first time resolution making sure that we're getting it resolved so that customer doesn't have to call us again in a couple of weeks or in a couple of months with the same issue that happens again but I've got to then kind of take that away from an experience perspective so my always kind of or the bit that crosses over all of those is that in the moment resolution. So let's get that done. Let's get that fixed. But then let's not just move on to the next call and forget about it. We are across all of those industries. We've got lots of those calls that are happening all the time. So how do I review those calls? How do I review that process? What caused that, that initial failure in that customer journey and that customer experience? And how can I not only change it in the moment, which is great because empathy, listening skills, all those things that you need to be a great customer service advisor, I then need to take that away or my team leaders and my team, I want them all involved in going. But this is the fifth one I've had this week, Barry, and this process is clearly broken. Could we try this? Could we try that? And then I think that comes back down to the, definitely the differences in your customer types and, like, say, what are they, What are they, why are they phoning and, and what do they need your service for? But those things internally should be the same. My team should be driving the business for that change. They should want to make the business change for its customers as much as we want to make at those changes ourselves. And I think those are the things, you know, those are the similarities that I was able to take from learning at Eon and apply them to the other roles that I've had and, and apply them every day in terms of, okay, what would I have done? in the energy market that I might do in the FX market? How can I leverage what I know from there to here? And majority of the time, if it's quite a answer, and it's normally, if I'm the customer, what does that mean for me? If it was my mum calling, what would I want my mum to experience? If it was my nan calling, or if I'm calling, what does that look like? And you can apply that kind of logic to most industries, really. And then it's just about listening. It, It is then taking those skills that that you've learned or I've learned I should say and you've learned Sean but like the skills I learned as a customer service advisor I still use them every day you know I just talked about empathy I just talked about listening skills it is about how much do you see these days when you see these things on LinkedIn and you see you know even me I do a post and it will be you should be spending 80 90 plenty of time listening and and not speaking and and those skills I learned as a customer service advisor I still use every day today. Yeah, really good
0: points all around, Barry, and a few that I want to unpack a little bit more. You talked about making sure that the customer doesn't experience the same issue again. And for me, that feels very similar to a metric that many people listening will be aware of, and that's first contact resolution or FCR. Is that one of the key CX challenges that that are faced within the business you're currently working for. And I suppose, thinking back to the previous businesses and roles that you've had, would you say that that's fair?
1: Yeah, it is, a fair, it is a fair statement and it is one of the challenges that we still all experience. You'll get a customer, as I say, call in today and something's gone wrong. You'll want to resolve that. Now, sometimes it might be out of the business's control that I can resolve that today. I might be resolving that in two, three, four days. You know, So if there's a relationship that we've got that's outside of my business, so we work with a lot of banks, for example, so we might be phoning the bank and saying, can you help us do X, Y, and Z with this payment? Or can you help us find this payment? Or this payment has come in and it's short. Two pound, three pound, four pound. It could be anything. The the types of things that you're dealing with, particularly, I can't always control. Then what that bank's SLA is, or what the other. How how do those relationships work? And then it becomes about the relationship management I have with those to fix those for the future. But I also need to look at the relationship with my customer over that. So again, it's coming back to that simplistic, you know, that very simple thing of if I'm that customer, what would I want? Well, we all know that when you're going through that as a customer. The last thing you really want to do is think, get up in the morning and think, I haven't had a response from Barry. He said he was going to call me in two days and he hasn't called me. It's about kind of controlling what you control. We talk about controlling what's in your sphere. And and one of that for me is quite a big one. In terms of customer experience, I might not be able to resolve it first time, but I can certainly call you when I say I'm going to call you. And I can certainly call you more than once or more than twice to keep you updated and and I'm a big fan of trying to get back to the customer a little bit sooner than maybe we thought. So if I've got the outcome, that's great. If I haven't got the outcome, then don't be frightened of that. And I think sometimes a customer would prefer you to call an hour earlier. So if I said, I'm going to call you at two, you know, but if I know I'm not going to have the answer at two and I've got time at one, my guys are very much free to phone that customer. Look, I'm sorry, I'm calling you a little bit early, but I still haven't got the answer yet, Sean. I'm still working really hard. This is where I'm at. You know yourself as a customer, you'd much prefer that. So again, it is about relationship management from a CS, from a customer service advisor point of view, as much as a business point of view. So yeah, there's lots of different strands to it, but you still just need to kind of, I don't want to say work on them in isolation, because that's one thing we don't want. We want to break down those silos across the business and we don't want to isolate, but I know I've got my customer and, I, and throughout that journey, that for 10 days, 15 days, five days, two, three days. The last thing anybody wants is to say, if you treat yourself as a customer, well, which we all are, right? We're all customers. We don't have to treat ourselves like customers. I don't want to get up in the morning thinking, oh, I've not heard from them yet. I'm going to have to call them again. That means I'm going to have to go into a queue. That means I'm probably going to speak to somebody else, which means I'm probably going to speak. I'm going to have to explain it all again. Like that's not... The way for me, I think that's where we can really win in that FGR piece. You know in that kind of first time resolution, it might take longer than the day. It might take longer than the two days, but it's about resolving that issue and managing that customer expectation and experience while you're going through it. yeah, I think I agree. And it's interesting that you talk about
0: not wanting to view things in silo and in isolation, but you're absolutely right. No customer wants to be made to feel like they're just a number. They want to be able to feel like they are an individual. I think there's an interesting point as well to be made. I'm going to frame this in terms of a question. We talk about customer experience, but in this information you've just shared, you also talked about, for example, banks that you work with contacting your team. Who do you consider to be the customer within this remit? Is it just the end user that we're talking about, or is it also the relationships with for example, partner banks, who is your customer that you're assessing the experience of?
1: It's amazing, isn't it? Because it's always my end customer. So they are my customer, but everybody is my customer. If I have a relationship with that person, then I'm going to be their customer and they're going to be mine. So, and I think that goes back to the bit I was saying a little bit earlier, you know, the things that you learn from being a customer service advisor, like everyone is my customer. So even now, like, yes, I've got a team, which is a team of, you know, 20 people. I've got a couple of team leaders, but I treat them like they're my customers to some extent. You know, they expect me to deliver something for them every day. My business is my customer because, you know, Money Corp are expecting something for me to deliver. And, and if I can put that customer kind of scenario or or thought process into it, then everyone's my customer. I've still got to get a result for my customer up front. And like say, they're front and center, the heart of everything that we do and then everything that you want to do. But yeah, anywhere there's a relationship where there is a movement of information or a touch point within that journey, they're going to be my customer. You know, my anti-money laundering team, my payments team here at Money Corp, they don't report into me, but they're a customer of mine and, and I'm a customer of theirs because they email me saying, can you phone this client or this customer and get X, Y, and Z for me? They need that. They need that in order to be able to help with their role and that in in, in turn works on the journey itself because if that part of the team has slowed down you know if there's an AML slowdown for the checks if there's a slowdown in the payment world then that's just going to impact my end customer anyway so it, everyone is that kind of customer it sounds a bit kind of silly sometimes when you say it that way but I think it's true if you could apply that to the piece of you know well actually everyone I talk to is a customer of mine and and how do I want them to engage with me how do I want them to make them feel and how do I want to make them kind of finish that interaction off how do I, wear? where do I want that to be? I can definitely get the best out of the experience that I set up while we do it. Yeah, I think that's really interesting and unfortunately I don't have a
0: real counterpoint to that because you've covered it all really really (laughs) well, which is a good problem to have. I absolutely agree. One of the things that I think is important to recognise at this point in our conversation is that when we think about energy and we think about money, those are Aside from things like, I mean, even mortgage, you know, that's still money related, but those are some of the two of the biggest, most stressful aspects of adult life. It's particularly at the moment with the way everything is, cost of living, crisis, et cetera, et cetera. You've got finance and you've got energy. I guess the, how do I frame this in a question that's going to make sense? I guess the challenge is how do you match that level of experience that is expected with what is deliverable. Where I'm going with that, I suppose, is, again, I'm thinking about this from like my gran or someone like that, and it can be sometimes that there are scenarios, and we've all had this before, whereby... For whatever reason, someone is tipped over the edge by something really, really minor and they call up a company and it's, you know, screaming ab-dabs down the phone. And actually it's because something was a three instead of a two. How do you ensure that you're delivering customer experience to the level that it needs to be without overly accommodating Those sorts of scenarios? How do you meet that requirement when, for some things, it really is relatively trivial?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's about remembering that it's emotive. They're emotive subjects, aren't they? So, like you say, energy is in a very emotional, kind of charged industry, and most customers will be emotionally charged when they call you. And it's the same financial, bank, FX, or any area of our world these days, like you're saying. It's so difficult at the moment for a lot of people out there that when something goes wrong, you are generally going to be emotive about it, you're going to be emotionally impacted, and you're right, it could be the straw that broke the camel's back, it might not very well be the thing that is built up, but there's that release, and I think what the, the focus for me in particular and, and the business is, is supporting our people. So the this, this CX, the customer experience, comes from the employee experience. So we look at things like we do in all contact centers. We look at the right KPIs in place. Do we have what are we listening to? How do we listen to calls? But it's about how do you support the individual? So I focus quite heavily on emotional intelligence as a skill, as, as something that the guys need to learn for what is their emotional intelligence, much understanding what the customer's emotions are at that point. So if I can understand where my customer is, put myself in my customer's shoes, understand that emotion, and then give them the space that they need. And then I'm, when I say they, I mean my team at that point. So sorry, just to clarify that, I guess. But I could tell you what, and I, you know, what my average handling time is in the call center at the moment. And we can look at that average handling time and I could kind of say to you, yeah, it's this, it's, it's a bit high, it's a bit low, it might be this, it might be the other. But actually, do, do my team really need to know that? And do I need to kind of, how do I build that in? So it's conversational. It's a good to know. It's perfect to know where I might need to do some more training or some more support. But I would never turn around to the team and say, you're AHT's too high. Can you get it down? Talk to the customer less, you know? It's about having that space to, one, spend as much time as you need to with the, the, the customer. Understand where they are. Understand how that emotion then impacts you. You know, like you say, we've all been on phone calls where customers have screamed, and shouted and called us all kinds of names and we've probably all done it if you're brutally honest. I know I think I've probably been on a couple of calls and and, and done exactly that. And I work in the industry and it's been probably been a long time since I've done it. But it, I was would have been working as a customer service advisor at that point, phoning somebody and thinking, all right, that's it. I've just had enough. i you can have both barrels today. And and I think the position has to be what do my team then need after that call? So one, why did my customer get there in the first place? And don't forget that we still need to do that long-term review, understanding what caused the the break in that experience and in that journey to build that and fix that going forward. Two, I need to obviously help the customer in the moment. And then three, I need to make sure that my team are getting this, the time and the space and the support. To deal with that emotion themselves, because they come off that phone call, they might make them a little bit angry. It might be a subject, you know, a vulnerable customer, particularly, again, you know, not just screaming customers, right? We're talking about a world where people can't phone in and say, I can't afford to pay for my electric or my gas or phoning in and saying, I'm struggling for, I'm struggling at home. They're all very emotive subjects. We then need to make sure that we're supporting the team and training and coaching the team as well in that space so that they know they've got the space to go actually i'm just going to say barry i'm just going to go and take an extra 10 minutes or barry have you got five minutes can we have a chat Like that call was really difficult, and I'd really like to speak to you about it. So there's that to do. You know, make sure that you're looking at those KPIs. Then there's call listening. There's call calibration sessions. There's making sure that you that we're constantly talking about it. It comes back to the for me the reason why. So why did you feel that way? Why did the customer feel that way? What can we do about it? Why would we make that change as a business, or why should we make that change as a business? And I'm lucky enough here that the business gives me enough freedom that we can do that. You know, the business allows me to go what do you need to deliver great experience and how are you going to make sure that you support your customers? And I, I think I've said more than once already on, on the call, but, um, customer is front and center, but the business also needs to understand that to put your customer front and center, you've got to put your people front and center at the same time. And if you're not looking after your people and you're not giving them that time and that space to breathe after that call, or if you're not giving them the route to come and speak to you or speak to anybody about that, whether that's, you know, a mental health first aider or or a bit of space, like I say, that they can just go and have 10 minutes in between each call if they need, if they really need it then we're probably not going to end up getting the customer experience because that's just going to build up on our advisors. And then it's going to be a straw that breaks your your customer service advisors like back, you know, and, and they're more than likely going to have a bad call at some point because they're going to spill that emotion back over. So there's a couple of different things to it. But I think, yeah, emotional intelligence is great. Keep talking to your teams about it. Understand how you feel. Understand why you're feeling that way and kind of understand that we are going to make mistakes, you know, we're all human. And I think it's about how we act in that well once we've made that mistake. You know, and we're open, we're honest. We drive to say sorry when we need to, and and then we're there to support the customer and give our people the space they need. Yeah, I think it's it goes back
0: to what you were saying previously around people pick up the phone when something goes wrong. And the human impact of that is significant, particularly in hybrid or remote working environments whereby you have something like a very agitated customer who's on the phone to you. And you've then got to ensure that you are professional as the person receiving that call, but that you're also able to deliver as best as you can within your ability on the expectation of customer experience, customer excellence. So I guess you've talked quite a lot around supporting staff, and as staff ramp up in their knowledge and ability and they learn those emotional resilience skills, that's fantastic. And you create this pool of users, this pool of agents who are very, very skilled at what they do, which is fantastic. How do you handle that in terms of the industry that we're in now, whereby there's a high attrition rate? Again, I'm quoting from like high-level figures, but you've got challenges in recruitment, high attrition rate, And so there's, for many customers, this kind of in the door, out the door, revolving door of users and agents. If I'm a brand new contact center with a focus on customer experience and I'm in that scenario, what are some of the things that I can do to help build that resilience and that emotional intelligence early with people who may not have been exposed to that before?
1: I think it's a great question. It's a great point. And I think you're right. The industry is, you know, we still talk about high attrition rates. We still talk about it being a stopgap. You know, people don't, I don't think are still seeing the contact center as a career path. And and I think we definitely need to change that kind of view of it. And, and I know there's a lot of people in my network, in your network that are doing lots of work like you guys to change that opinion of the contact center. I think we've still got a long way to go and a lot of work to do on that. And I think we have to be the change. So, for me, it starts right at training. So it starts as part of your onboarding. So, you know, you get somebody come into your contact center and you're going to start teaching them, these are my systems. These are my processes. These are my customers. These are the things I'm expected to see in quality. This is what I expect. I'm going to teach you empathy. I'm going to teach you open questions. I'm going to teach you how to ask closed questions, when to use them, when not to. We need to start building that emotional intelligence training and that kind of and this is into that training, Like right? get it in real early and, and get the guys to understand that it's. It, you're probably going to come across some upset customers and some angry customers because that's the honesty of, what, of where we are and what we do. It's then letting them know and letting them see that it's okay to turn around and say, I'm not happy after that call. That customer upset me and, and I'm upset. And you go, that's okay. Like, I don't mind. I'm here for that or we're here for that as a business. And then you need to kind of then continue that into their career path. You know, what does it look like? How do you retain somebody in the business? So as a contact center in the role I'm currently in, you've got to think about, okay, so what does that attrition look like? Have a look at the numbers, have a look at when people are generally leaving. I think it's been a while since I've had a look, but I think one of the stats was something like two and a half, three years before somebody left a contact center. You know, it's kind of that area that you know, you're going to lose people in the contact center, And knowing that, it's about what do I do in those two years to help that person's career? How do I help develop them? So I would see it as instead of attrition, instead of losing that individual and they're leaving the business altogether, how can I help them? into a role that in within the business. What are those routes? How do we set those routes up? What does that look like in terms of your career? I've got people in the team at the moment that have gone from customer services to being one of our our foreign exchange dealers. I've got people that are currently sitting in the AML team that we that I talked about earlier and the payments team and and that it's great. It's sad to see them go because I'd like to keep everyone forever and I'd love everybody to stay in customer services. But the truth of the matter is people want that career and the contact center is a great place to start your career and it, and it is a career with a view of, we know we get 20, 21 year olds, quite young people just leaving school, maybe just having a uni break, you know, or just while they're at uni doing part-time work, you've got to start kind of helping those younger generations really understand what a contact center can give you. And that's everything from marketing to data analysis to IT to It's all there in the contact center. It will give you some great people skills. It will teach you things like emotional intelligence. It will teach questioning skills, interviewing skills, the the stuff that you'll get in the contact center. We've really got to show you people what that looks like and you've really got to support them through that and just be open about it. So the other thing is I'm quite open in that I get days like that. So I don't always talk to customers, right? But I do get emotional. There are, we'll be in a meeting or we'll be talking about something in the business maybe and maybe don't quite agree with what one of my colleagues is kind of the, the process that they want to change I don't agree with that process I've got to then try and convince that individual either to come to my way of thinking or I've got to come to a compromise these are all skill sets that you can learn in the contact center and we want to be teaching people to better influence but I can better influence then the results of the business because I can influence my boss and I can influence my colleague who, who doesn't slightly agree with me to my way of thinking and the more we kind of work on those skill sets across the industry and and across any business, I'd say that's for anybody looking to develop. Really look at things like your e. Myers Briggs, like what am I? I'm a, I know I'm an, e, an ENFJ. That doesn't mean that my E is a bad thing. It just means that in certain scenarios might not be very helpful for me. So I want to be more introverted, and and it might be that actually I want to actually kind of ramp up that E in this scenario because I don't know, we're doing a charity drive or I'm just about to stand in front of a room full of 150 people and I'm going to deliver a message of such. And it's those things, never stop looking at your own personal development, but let's make sure that we're supporting people in that as well as a business, which is great because, you know, again, having the space to do that, having the freedom to do that and a business that is willing to devote time with its people and really kind of develop them into that kind of place, your business will do amazing things in the customer experience world and and in the customer service world because you're, I was going to say employees then, but your colleagues will then deliver that back to your customer. So on the note of that,
0: around what you've just been saying there. I've got kind of a two pronged question here and I'll start off with the really simple question and then we'll unpack that a little bit with a secondary question. So first off, which metrics do you currently use to measure your customer experience?
1: So customer experience, we use everything from NPS, so Net Promoter Score. We use Trustpilot, FIFO particularly in terms of making sure what, what our customers saying online. They're very great. They're good platforms to use. You can get customers' true opinion of them. We do a lot of QA, so we do a lot of quality analysis. We'll be listening to customer calls. We'll be looking at emails, understanding what that quality looks like and getting that feedback on a regular basis from our customers. So there's nothing better than hearing directly from a customer how the experience was, where it was, how does it go. So those are the kind of key metrics that we currently use.
0: Awesome. And now the second part of this then, this is the tricky one. We're all familiar with the age old mentality of the contact center and that old fashioned contact center of days gone by that we can all easily on up where it's scoreboards, sales prizes, all of that sort of thing. And I guess where I want to get to with this is is with CX, I've seen and experienced scenarios whereby, you know, the contact center owner turns around and goes, we've got a new customer experience team and this is what they're going to do. And then the following day, you get the customer experience team coming over and kind of going, you really need to reduce your average handle time. That's just (laughs) too high. So from that frame of mind, how do you motivate or how do you encourage customer experience being embedded culturally, effectively, without it coming across as false or just another target for agents to hit?
1: Yeah, I think firstly, those games and incentives and vouchers are great things. Keep We still use them. You're at work for a long time during the week, and it needs to be an environment that is a great place to be. And, and you can get that through some of those incentives, you know, those games, keeping the guys engaged. From a business perspective, the third time I think I've used this now, Sean, but it putting the customer front and center. Now, it's a great thing for us to say, but what does it actually mean? How do you put your customer front and center? Well, you talk about it a lot and you talk about it at senior management level and down, you know, so if we're having a meeting that is operations or we're talking about operational excellence as a senior leadership team, we're talking about the customer you know they're in that meeting with us around that table so and the same with your customer experience design team you know and your QA team they should be when we're talking about okay so we're going to design this new process we should be talking about where's the customer in that journey so let's start with okay we're going to do this new product this is what the product looks like this is what we think it's going to be this is how we're going to run it okay, great. I'm a customer. Let's just walk that through. How does that feel? How do I access it? Do I get it online? Do I get this? What happens when it goes wrong? So you should generally bring the customer into every session that you're doing and kind of think about the customer in every meeting throughout the whole of the business. Not like you say, you know, I've got a product and I just need it to be sold or I just need it to be done and delivered and thanks very much we'll see what it looks like on the end can you reduce your AHT we should be talking about that real early upfront and understanding the customer as they go through that product design so you know when you design a product who are you designing it for well the customer so let's talk about the customer from having an operational excellence meeting and we're looking at a few of the processes maybe that have gone wrong it's not about where did it go wrong for the business. It's about where did it go wrong for the customer and what impact did that have on the business? Because what impact did it have on the customer? What impact did it have on the business? Because if I'm looking at at where it went wrong for the customer, I'm probably going to highlight where it went wrong for the business at the same time. And if not, it might mean that actually I would change the journey earlier or later, but more based on the customer interaction with it than the business interaction. So or I might not have even thought about that part of it. I might have just gone, well, we know where that's gone wrong. It's gone wrong with our online platform here. Well, in fact, if I put the, the customer through it, it might not have gone wrong. It might have technically gone wrong at that place. But actually, for the customer, it could have gone wrong altogether because the email we sent wasn't very clear. And the wording wasn't right. And we used a lot of jargon. And then, you know, rather than get the customer to go online, maybe we wanted the customer to phone us. So it's about kind of bringing that customer in there. And then it's about talking about it. it's about, like I say, regular meetings with my customer service team, my customer service managers. They know that we talk customer a lot, and so when I'm doing my QA or when I'm doing my KPIs, you know, I'm doing my quality assurance, or or we're doing a monthly one-to-one with your team. It isn't just about okay, so your AHT was this or your average handling time came down but at the same time your after call work went up it's talk to me about the customers you've had this month what were the good ones what were the bad ones you know why were they bad what what improvements do you think that you could bring to the business based on what you know because they're the guys that are taking the calls they're not that you know i I mentioned earlier trust pilot and i think we started this with around that customer experience where do we get that info from well the customer's best but I've also got a team full of customer service advisors that are speaking to two three four hundred people a day and those 400 people a day are customers so if they're getting 10 15 20 calls and it's all about well this customer is not happy about this process probably something that's worth looking at so and again it's them saying to your customer service team you know like i hear that i hear that and this is what we're going to do about it so it's about understanding and letting them the, the why, right? So why are we making that change? Why do we need to make that change? Because of my customer, because of you guys, because you're going to say this. And then hopefully get them involved in that change too. So if you're going to start a project and it's a massive kind of big project process change, maybe it's not one of those where you can just say, actually, yeah, we'll just stop doing that tomorrow. It might be more of, actually, we're going to need to get a project team together. We're going to get the budget in for the for the IT work in the background, the person who raised that, or the team that raised that, can you get two or three of them involved right from the get-go? Not just at the UAE, not just at the testing, at the back end, but how can I bring one of my guys into that room to say, right, this is what you said last month. These are the top 10 things. We're going to look at this one process, and I'd like you to be involved, and I'd like you to kind of come along for the journey. And then when you bring in those people along, employees, customers, and and all of us, then we all get to the end goal, which is a, a great experience for our customers. I love that. And it's a theme
0: that's come up with a few conversations I've had in the process of doing this and in talking to many businesses that I talk to just through my day to day. And it's that idea of taking people on the journey and engaging with people on the journey. The more you engage with people, then the more engaged they are in the process and the objective. I could honestly continue talking about this for (laughs) much longer. Unfortunately, time has run away somewhat, so I'm afraid I'm going to have to call it there. However, I would like to say a huge, huge thank you, Barry, once again, for taking the time to talk with us today and
1: hopefully talk to you again in the near future. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on, Sean. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you.
0: Cheers. Talk Time is brought to you by Max Contact. To find out more about Max Contact and how our customer engagement software can help you and your teams provide smarter customer experiences, visit maxcontact.com and book your personalized demo today. Be sure to search Talk Time with Max Contact in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. And leave us a positive rating to help other like-minded individuals join the conversation. Finally, before you go, never miss a future episode by clicking the subscribe button and turning on notifications. On behalf of the team here at Max Contact, thanks for listening.